What's up, everybody? We're back with another banger on the World on Drugs podcast. I'm your man, Steve Fury, the host with the most. And we are doing a fantastic episode today all about Charles Boyd Harrelson. Steve, who the fuck is this guy? He's just your run-of-the-muck, just a run-of-the-muck, run-of-the-muck criminal? Uh, yes, kind of, you know. I wouldn't say he's, I mean, actually, no, this guy's... <laughs> He's got a lot of ties in him, a lot of ties to a lot of crazy shit, and most of all, the biggest tie is he is Woody Harrelson's dad, blood dad, like the guy from Cheers and True Detective, and one of America's favorite fucking actors. His dad is uh, Charles Harrelson, and this guy. Let me uh, let me just start off with a little uh, little advert action for that ass. It seems like every day a new skeleton falls out of the closets of Hollywood, but rarely does news break of something as high profile as that of Charles Void Harrelson, father of Woody and Brett Harrelson. Charles Harrelson was a hitman, a card shark, a womanizer, and maybe, just maybe, associated with the murder of JFK. He was convicted of two murders. Texas Rangers believe he killed dozens more, and one of those happened to be federal judge Joe Wood. The investigation that followed ranks second all-time in total expenditure, folks. That means the government spent the most money. Only behind the JFK assassination itself. But in retrospect, the case had more holes than Swiss cheese. This is the story of a Texas outlaw, of the rise of gambling, of the mob, hypnosis, the Cubans, and one of the biggest stories never told. This is the story of Charles Void Harrelson. I mean, are your guys fucking nipples hard right now? Banger, folks. This one comes up from my producer, one of my head producers, uh, Gray Livingston. Shout out to my boy. Love what you're doing. Our guest this week is Lisa Traeger. You may know her from her multiple late night sets, um, Lights Out with David Spade, and she has a Netflix special, uh, about 30 minute one. She is one of my favorite comics working today. How do I know her? Um, she probably came to LA maybe a year or two ago, and we just started hanging out. You know, she's a she became a Comedy Store paid regular, and she's one of my favorite sets to watch because um, a lot of times what you want to do in stand-up, and one of the things that is most respected in stand-up, is finding your voice and being the person who you are on stage, off stage. Because, uh, you know, there are people who are caricatures of themselves or people that are versions of themselves, and that's cool, but it's also... Um, not that respected, you know. You go up there as like a guy named Mitch Fattel. I don't know if you guys remember him. He has a Comedy Central Presents back in the um, early 2000s. He kind of talked and acted like a uh, mentally handicapped person. Uh, doesn't translate that great today. I mean, he never said mentally handicapped, but he'd go on stage and just kind of be just dumb as fuck. And, you know, didn't go very well with him. So that's why I love Lisa, because she is the same person she is on stage off stage and her stand-up is so conversational and it's one of my favorites um how do i know her we would ju we just get stoned a lot and we hang out in the back of the comedy store in the little uh, sacred ground just have a good time uh, i think you guys are gonna love this podcast other than just the fantastic information um having her on is just such a blessing and so fun you get to learn a lot more about her want to give a shout out to comedy store studios comedy store records comedy store podcast thanks for letting me record there you guys are doing a great job really appreciate it Let's see what I've been up to. Had the rents come in for a couple days uh, in early December, I think right when I recorded this. That was fun, man. It was my dad and my stepmom. Um, what'd we do? So my dad's birthday, so we took him. To, I took him to a Beverly Hills sushi place. Uh, it was cool. You know, I never really frequent Beverly Hills. As much as restaurants I go to and everyone always asks me, you know, what 
where should I go and stuff like that. Um, I don't really go to fancy places. So we took him to this uh, sushi place. It was good. I pretty much dropped the bag on it, you know, truck on the higher end of three figures. <laughs> and we had a great time. And then they came to the comedy store with me. My dad stayed up super late, later than he stayed up in years. They saw me go up. I went up, did pretty good. Can't really complain. Also, you'll notice there is no video for this episode, which kind of sucks because my dad actually helped me put up some uh, shelves behind me. Now it doesn't look like a crazy person screaming in a closet, but now I got shelves with some fun stuff. But, alas, my luck, my video recording is not working. So they came, we hung out, had a great time. Then I went back on the road. Old Papa Fat Stacks went back on the road. Went with Bert. So um, we did a California tour. This is kind of one of my more first California tours. Definitely the first one uh, with him indoors. So we start going to Redding. If you don't know what Redding is, Redding is, uh, I would say, a little bit more Oregon than it is California, but it's at the top. Um, if you don't know anything about California, it's kind of split up into three things. There's there's real Northern California, and those people are a little, uh, they're mountain folks, okay? You know, a lot of beards, a lot of Carhartt jackets, a lot of dirty hats, a lot of, uh, you know, mountain folk. Those are our, not hillbillies, just mountain folk. I uh, went into Reading. Reading, a lot more beautiful than I ever really thought, to be honest with you. I thought it was a lot more of a shithole than it was. But I went up there. It was fun. The crowd was a little rambunctious. Probably the most wild crowd that we have had. Um, before the show, sold out arena. Arenas are different than stadiums, by the way. So arenas are normally like I think it's 10k or under. Um, they start doing a "Let's Go Brandon" chant, which I guess is like a Republican thing to shit on. Uh, shit on Biden. Now listen. I do not give a flying fuck what your uh, political leanings are. You know, I'm I'm who I am. I don't care what you are. I think people have a reason to, to feel whatever they want to feel. But going to a comedy show and starting a Let's Go Brandon chant is so weird. You know? And then in the middle of it, in the middle of Burt Kreischer's set... A guy starts yelling, fuck Nancy Pelosi, and a couple people get in. Listen, I'm a Democrat. I don't like Nancy Pelosi. I don't give a shit about her. If she got shot, I think the world would be better. Do I think uh, Mitch McConnell's a worse person? Sure, I do. But in my opinion, I would love to almost kill everyone in politics at the high level so that the people coming behind them know, hey, we're not fucking around anymore. You need to stop doing things that are in self-interest and start looking out for the people who put you there. But does that mean I'm going to go to a Weird Al Yankovic concert and start yelling, fuck Mitch McConnell? No. That's one of the things I got to say, guys. If you are, you know, if you're a Republican, do your own thing. I get it. You want to protect your own money. Do your own thing. And Democrats have kind of been shit in the bed almost every time they've gotten in office. And I've done stand-up shows across this country, okay, in every state for about two years now. And I can tell you... People in red states are a lot more vocal about hating people, okay? Like if I go to Texas, for instance, and I'm just in a joke. This happened two or three times where I had to say, stop saying it. I say California, or this happened in Florida. I say California. People start booing. It's just weird. Why are you booing? You're at the show. 
you're booing me because I said California. And you go, okay, yeah, well, you know, fuck California. You guys are all messing up everything. Okay, fine. But you know what doesn't happen? When someone from Texas comes to California and they say from Texas, people start booing. Like if I go to a Weird Al Yankovic con- concert, I'm not starting a fuck Kamala Harris. Oh, no, it would be someone else. Fuck Mitch McConnell's game. It just doesn't happen. Why do you guys care so much about these divisions that these rich people are trying to put us in? You know, that's like, it just seems like a lot of people are leaning in to the divisions that the people at the top want us to be in, so we stop worrying about them fucking us over. But And you know what, dude? If you know a guy who you think's in the 1%, I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about the people that tripled, quadrupled their net worth over the pandemic while other people are fighting to get minimum wage like raised. And people are like, well, that's going to raise the price of everything. Not if we stop telling the people at the top to make so much fucking money. Feels like people are getting mad at ants for getting more crumbs when the guy at the top has 16 cakes. And everyone's like, well, you know, this ants get... Who gives a fuck about that? Tell that guy to stop... Whatever. Whatever, folks. And then we went to Sacramento after that. Um, This was special. This was one of the more special moments in my comedy career. Okay, so uh, if you don't know, I am from Sacramento. I tend to rep Sacramento pretty hard. And in the um, show, we go to a place called Memorial Auditorium. Now, my dad took me to Memorial Auditorium multiple times to watch stand-up. My dad also has an amazing uh, special ability to call a radio station and win. Like when that was a big thing. So a couple times he won us tickets. So he took me to just the Memorial Auditorium. He took me to see Brian Regan, Jim Gaffigan, and Dave Chappelle. I was at this show that Dave Chappelle quit comedy for a little while because uh, it was during the heyday of the Dave, uh, Dave Chappelle show. And one of the guys in the audience, every five minutes, kept yelling, Charlie Murphy, Charlie Murphy. And guys, when you yell out at a comedy show, you're ruining the show for everyone else. You're ruining the show for the comedian. You're just fucking it up. You notice that you're the only person yelling things out? Then don't do it. Okay? Work as a community here, folks. So I was at that show when he started yelling, Charlie Murphy, Charlie Murphy. And then and then Dave Chappelle stops his set and he goes, hey, I'm going to tell you guys a story. Some, some shit about Damon Wayans and the punchline was uh, Dave Chappelle literally farting on the mic, throwing it on the ground, walking off stage. And then he did a report or he did a interview in the newspaper the next day that said he was done with stand up and he took a three year hiatus. So not only did I see three of my favorite comedians of all time, the guys that shaped me, I also graduated here. So it's called Memorial Auditorium in downtown Sacramento. It's built in 1920. Very interesting thing is that the floor goes up and down. A lot of times you'll go to a a theater and a stage can go up and down. Think a la the Phantom of the Opera. Uh, the Memorial Auditorium actually has the whole bottom floor goes down which was only two buildings ever made like that. Why are there two buildings? Probably because it seems stupid. You know, why would you raise a huge floor? I'm talking like three basketball courts rather than just raising a stage. But, you know, back then that was probably like putting fucking rims on your car. It was like, dude, my floor goes down. So I'm in there, right? So I'm go- in there, multiple shows I've gone to see that f- that shaped me as a man in the place I graduated high school. Also, a lot of people are coming to see me. 
or coming to see Bert, and then they see I'm on it. And it's really funny, you know, a lot of people were asking for free tickets. I get, I, I only had a certain amount of free tickets to give. I'm sorry if you uh, wasn't able to get you any. But some of them were so fun. They're like, hey, can I get free tickets? It's like, dude, I've been doing stand-up for 10 years, a decade, and you never came and saw me once, and now you want free tickets to a show that I don't need your help at? And that it's like, no, I'm going to give it to the people that supported me. Not to say you didn't support me from afar, but it's like, you're meeting me at the finish line for this shit. So first show I go, I have my mom there. Um, Smash City. It's really fucking awesome. I got that really cool picture with my back and the crowd's going wild. And you know, it was just a really special night. My mom came to that one and my Aunt Sam had them both meet Bert. They were both very stoked about it. Um, second show, I had a bunch more family and friends come. Everyone seemed to love it. I had my dad there. Show had to start super late because we start um, with the Vax cards, man. Um, takes a lot longer to get people in. So the show started an hour late. Now, folks, if you ever had a shower show, I'm not counting rap shows. You know, they, they just start late because I don't know if it's a power move with artists or some shit. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like some artists want to, like, prove to other artists that they're cool. So they try and start the show as late as possible. Normally at a show, if it's starting late, uh, there is an app that people can check or there's a person that will run up and tell you the amount of people that have already come into the venue. So if there's a lot of people outside the venue and only a small amount have gotten in, you're going to want to start to show a little bit later, right, so it doesn't bury your opener. Also, there's a, lot, there's a way for everyone to check beer lines, and if the beer lines are super long, then you can't, uh, you know, you don't want to bury the opener because no one's even there. So we start very late. Uh, my dad, my dad's there, and he stays out late, man. He has a great time. Him, my stepmom, my dad's friend, they meet Bert, and it, it just felt really good, you know. You, you can feel, I can feel the vibes people are giving me lately. It's uh, in, 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 in entertainment and in stand-up, there's a thing called momentum, um, just like in sports or anything like that. It's, it's a vibe that you get that, that, f- that you can feel. Um, you can feel yourself gaining momentum, gaining intrinsical tr- force, whatever the word is, getting better, having people notice you. So it's kind of where I'm at right now. It feels like a lot of people are giving me a lot of recognition that I never knew or thought I would get. Or, you know, I always thought it about myself, but... It was awesome. So after that, we go to Anaheim. Anaheim, I also have a ton of family in Orange County. Honestly, I got people all over California, to be honest with you. I've just kind of lived almost all over the state and with friends everywhere. So we go to Anaheim. That's where most of my uh, extended family are. They come. Anaheim's fun, you know. We park the bus there for two days. Wherever we park for two days, we start bringing everything out. So we brought out the pickleball we brought out smokers. We started eating. It's a really great time. And I had a lot of family come. It was great. It was a great run. I had a blast. My life seems to be going well. Um, this Omicron thing, man, y'all watch out. My girl is a nurse at Cedar sinai at um, in the COVID department. So if you think, you know, get that booster shot. She's seen a lot of people unboosted coming in. So I would suggest you do that. Other than that, um, yeah, Omicron's fucking it up. We, uh, the Vancouver show got canceled. Kind of a bummer already. Hopefully more shows don't get canceled. Um, the store Christmas party got canceled. That's something I love to do every goddamn year, and that was just taken away. Other than that, guys, that's going to be a little uh, quick little intro. Sorry there's no video. 
Um, I got someone coming over today to help me with the rest of the videos. I'm going to start putting them up on YouTube. So if you want to see some stuff, you can check over there. Other than that, um, any suggestions? I would suggest... Oh, I watched this documentary called Crime, something crime on HBO Max, and it took uh, 30 years. It uh, followed pretty much these three crackheads from the 80s all the way to 2010, and um, that shit was gnarly, man. That was one of the more gnarly documentaries I've ever seen, so I would highly suggest you check that out. Other than that, got some dates coming up. We're doing New Year's in Philly with Bert, and then pretty much I'm on the rest of Bert's tour for the rest of 2022 until May. So if you got any questions on where I'm going to be, check his lineups at BertBertBert.com. Other than that, guys, thank you for listening. Um, if you're new to the podcast, um, you know, DM, DM me on Instagram if you like the podcast. If anyone, if you guys are listening and you like the podcast or you think something could be better or you got someone you want, DM me on Instagram at Scoop of Steve Fury and tell me what I can do. I feel like the, the podcast is getting better. It's getting good. But, you know, I'm always willing to uh, make things better and make and just try more. So if you like this podcast, please put a comment on Apple Podcasts. It's really easy. It's for free. And share it with a buddy, man. Let's try and get this thing better, bigger. Other than that, I love you guys. This episode is Charles Void Harrelson, the father of Woody Harrelson, with one of my good buds, Lisa Traeger. Enjoy the show. It's probably going to be a two-parter, so next part will come out next week. And you know what, guys? If, if I miss a week on this thing, you guys got to understand, I'm on a bus. There's no internet in the middle of nowhere. This bus doesn't have good internet, so that's why this stuff happens. And plus, this takes a lot of work. So shout out once again to my one of my producers, Gray Livingston. See you guys later. Bye. Great. We're good. We're ready. Did your dad like me? No. My girlfriend loved you, though. Okay. My girlfriend loved you. Okay, great. Yeah. She loved you. She was so that excited. That makes me happy. Yeah. Um, all right. Re- you guys ready? One, two, three. Lisa, thanks for coming in, buddy. My absolute pleasure. I'm so excited. Yeah, because I did have to cancel a few times. It was like back, but now that I'm here for this story, mm-hmm. I feel like it worked out the way it's supposed to. For sure, because this is definitely for you. So, just a warning: when I do this, I tend to drink. So I've been drinking all day. Okay. So we're just gonna see how it goes. Okay, great. We're just gonna run it, <laughs> run it through, and see what happens. So we're gonna start it now. Right now, it's all about Charles. Harrelson, Woody Harrelson's dad. He was born on July 23rd, 1938. Charles Void Harrelson was born in Lovelady, Texas to Alma Lee Sparks and Void Harrelson. 1956, Charles Harrelson competes the equivalent of a high school diploma while serving in the Navy in Norfolk, Virginia. He married Diane Lou Oswald during his three and a half years in the Navy, where he achieved the rank of petty officer third class working as a sonar man. Probably not a great thing to reach the petty officer third class. Those all seem like insults. Diane is the woman that Charles had three children with, Jordan, Woody, and Brett. Jordan, Woody, and Brett went a little wild with Woody. You have three kids. What are you naming them? So I do want to say I'm going to to be child-free. That is my life. But I've always loved the name Emma. Mm -hmm. I think it's, like, awesome. So I'd have a daughter named Emma. I think I'd name my boy Jack. Love okay. a classic good Jack. And then I love the idea of having like a three letter, like Bo, Lou. Yeah, I like that too. You know, Stu. Um, what's the, what's a Jewy one? Saul. 
Saul's super. I don't think anyone's been named Saul <laughs> after like 1968. But I like that though for sure. So yeah, like those two classics, and then a three letter like, yeah. wait, what's that stand for? Nothing, bitch. Yeah, I love that's the, my name. I love also. It's like you did the real thing on the first two, on the third one, you're like, whatever happens, you know? Yeah. Uh, my I had a buddy in high school, Chinese fella. Uh, his name was. Swear to God, this is his name. We played football together. Bun Long Dragon Hong, right? Fine, Chinese guy. His chase, his brother's name, Jason. So were they b- born in different countries? No, they're both born here. And was it a family? Like someone died, and then they had to no, do it. it. Was they just, just like Jason. Bun Long Dragon Hong, and then a year later, like still same thing, you know. Still Jason. My favorite is like I had a friend growing up. Her name's Kyung Min. Goes okay. by Jessica. You know what I mean? I love that. I love the Asians that like will like they have a real name and then America beats it out. Of yeah, them. they're probably just so <laughs> tired of it. it's like no, no, it's Bun Long Dragon. And they're like, yeah, call me Tim. I'm Tim now from this point forward. Yeah, or like at nail salons, the girls will have little um, their name. It's like there's no way you're Patty. There's no way you're Patty, but I get what you're doing, and I'll request Patty. But I'm Elizaveta, so it's not like I had it that Wait, easy. What did you so mean? my name is Elizaveta. Whoa, super Eastern European. Yeah, my so I was gonna be Betty, and then my grandma died five days before I was born, and her, the, her name was Elizaveta. So, how many letters is that? It's people make fun of it because it's like six syllables or something. Yeah, Elizaveta. It's like five. Yeah, it's a lot of syllables. It took me a long time to like learn how to spell it, but as soon as a teacher would be like, "Yeah," I'm like, "It's me." <laughs> I go by Lisa. Thank you so much. My thing is like, you remember doing like Sat Nine tests back in the day? Like, did you ever have like a book where yes. you had to? Did you have enough spaces for your name? Because I feel like mine got to the end with Stephen, but if I was like Elizaveta. Um, I don't know because I first I didn't love those tests, so I just filled in bubbles and didn't pay attention. I didn't take the tests, dude. I got in trouble one time because you didn't care, and they made you want to care. But it was it was in it was a real dick, like no double spacing, two different rows. Thing came in the bottom, and they called me over the top over the speakers. Over the top. Over the called me over everybody. It's kind of a flex, you know. Um, one of my greatest accomplishments, I would say, is there's a comedian with a really tough last name, and I know how to say his last name, and it's Prashanth Vekataramanajan. That's pretty good. And it's I've been bragging about it for like a decade. That's pretty good. But Woody, um, so that doesn't stand for anything. Just No, his that's name's name. literally, it's not like Woodrow or anything. It's just Woody. But it fits him so perfect. Or yes. would he be this guy? He nails the name. I mean. Are they friends still? Like, does Woody in this day? I can't no, wait. I don't okay. want to break okay. it to you. Okay. Because what happens later is almost insane. If we make it, because I don't know if you'll have enough time. 1960, Charles had his first run-in with the law. He was arrested for armed robbery and given five years probation. During this period, his legitimate job was working as a repairman for dental equipment. But in his own words, he was a professional gambler. During one of his trials, he said, I'm an expert card mechanic. I could put any hand you want anywhere you want it, simply by opening up a new deck of cards and shuffling them. He was known to cheat playing poker using a cold deck. That's when you have one in your lap and kind of go through it. A repairman, a gambler, hell of a first job. Lisa, what was your first job? My first job always with children. It was uh, teaching swim lessons. Okay. $14 an hour. That's pretty good. Right? Freshman year of high school getting 14 an hour. That was like, it was huge. That's big, yeah. My first job, I worked at an ice cream place. I was one of the vendors. That's classic. That's classic yeah. Americana. Mm-hmm. It was great. I could hook up my friends. And then at the end, <laughs> one of the most embarrassing stories is I was like, 
when you were at the low guy, you had to like, if it was a place who made their own ice cream, you had to clean the bins and set them up upside down so someone could fill them with ice cream. So what I used to do was leave the bottom at about like two inches thick and then go in the back and eat like a monkey the ice cream with my hands. And then one day I got caught. It was like crisscross applesauce with a tub of with of uh, cookie dough, spooning it into my hands with my fingers, and I was off ice cream duty for quite a long ride. I, I made sandwiches. So there was nothing that you saw behind the scenes that made you disgusted by ice cream, not like no, you know, pure, like people like at pure McDonald's. It's pure. Thing. It is a fantastic. But you refill the big things. You don't just get new tubs of the. No, ice No, it was cream. like a real place that made ice cream. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty great. Did you get fat? Not as fat as I am now. I was in high school, you know. <laughs> Shit doesn't even stick to you. I was getting jacked, just working out. It's fantastic. May 28th, 1968. Alan Berg, a carpet salesman in Angletown, Texas, goes missing. His family suspects foul play, and they suspect it was Charles Harrelson. So then I do a little summary that gives you a little bit more information. This is kind of the only summary on this one. Okay. The youth of Charles Harrelson was not too different from most boys in the late 30s in rural Texas. The city hall is a great representative of the town. He grew up the youngest of six children. He was raised without a mother and his father was a rancher who was uneducated and remarkably unintelligent. Charles worked for his father on a ranch growing up until he joined the Navy and he started gambling by 12 years old. Love that. I know, just starting early. It said that Charles was well liked by members of the community growing up and that he hadn't caused too much trouble, but he obviously hated law enforcement. In the town of Lovelady, you were either a rancher or a lawman and to Charles' chagrin, most of his family were lawmen. Shortly after his three-year stint in the Navy, Charles was arrested for armed robbery and given five years probation. During probation, he, as a legitimate repairman for dental equipment, I'm laughing because I know what's coming up, but his real career was a professional gambler. From 1960 onwards, Charles was a certified card mechanic that would cheat anybody gullible enough to fall for his tricks. <laughs> I like that you wrote this, right? I wrote this with the help of one of my producers, uh, Gray Livingston. So he sends me a lot of stuff and I redo it, but he, he puts on a lot of work. He also used his underground poker ring to peddle his services, with many people saying that he had his own business card. This is a lot of people saying this is the business card he gave out. The card allegedly said, Wars fought, revolutions started, assassinations plotted, governments run, uprisings quelled, women seduced, tigers tamed, bars empties, computers verified, orgies organized, used cars, land, beer, manure, nails, fly swatters, racing forms, bongos, pool, dry hole, sports car setups, broads, bets, hired killer, murder for hire, n-words shot free. What the fuck? That was the fucking 60s for you, man. You could just be buck wild and say racist shit and... But also, like, so he, so you would hire him to play the bongos? Like, he was just like a renaissance man. But he's not doing nails. There's no way he's doing people's nails. With rancher true. hands, there's no way he's manicuring people. But maybe it's like a back time thing where he's, like, hammering nails or something. That makes more sense. But you would call that carpentry, no? But I guess he didn't go to high school. Yeah, I mean, to be this forefront of your Plotting assassinations? Garb, yeah, you shouldn't put that on a, a card. card. It's like your MySpace page that you put that on, you know? I mean, hell of a business card. Amazing, right to the point. He does so many things. A Home Depot of crime. If you had a card for the bad shit you offer or have done, what would it say? I would say it would just say, like, um, come to me to gossip. Like, talking, okay. sh like a shit-talking shit yeah. thing. Like, if you want to come talk some shit, you would come like hang out one. with me. Because I, like uh, I think it's a toxic trait. 
For sure. Um, like I always read on Instagram quotes where it's like, if you hang out with someone and they're talking shit about their friends, that means they're talking toxic and they're yeah. going to talk shit about you. And I don't want to be that person, but it's like, I don't know how to stop. I would say we've never talked shit together. In the, Ever? About no. nobody? No. Wow. And that's normally, especially when you always found when you meet a new comic, you can bond over your hate of another comic. Well, yeah, because there's some that are just universally hated. Mm-hmm. So you can just bond. And there's one person who wouldn't talk shit about one of the universal people. And that made me not trust him. Oh, for sure. And he's an overall good boy. But he just wouldn't talk shit about this one person. And I was like, you know what? If you can't fucking do that, yeah. I can't. We're not going to be friends. Well, just in the same way that talking shit with someone means they talk behind your back, the guy who's not t- talking shit is going to rat on you. Oh, they're going to go tell the person? I think they're going to Yeah, yeah. That's what which I is saying. worse. Yes. But it's like, I also hate when people are like, say it to my face. And it's like, are you, we're talking, like we're all talking about, you can't be mad at someone for talking shit. I guess that's my situation. We're all talking about people. We all get frustrated. If it's a good friend, you have to keep it in the friend group. But you got to talk. I don't know how not to. But, but it's also a lot of times we're not talking shit about like this person's a bad parent. His dad's an alcoholic. We're we're talking about how we don't like their art. I th- no, I oh, know no. some bad fathers. <laughs> you talk about that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I write whole jokes about it. Honestly, I, I have a new whole bit about how mad I am at some of my friends' husbands. Yeah, that's a weird. The weirdest one is, especially in L.A., is when you're hanging out with a guy and he's like, yeah, my daughter's coming in town. I'm like, I've known you for three years and never heard of this person. How do you have a daughter? It's like, all right, okay, yeah, yeah, sure. It's super easy to be a bad dad. It's like, um, and easy to be a good dad. You just have to hold the baby in public once or twice. Yeah, just pay your dues money-wise if you're not going to be there and then be a good dad. All right, the murder of Alan Berg. May 28th, 1968. Allen Berg, a 30-year-old carpet salesman, receives a phone call to his office. It was a woman who said she had seen him at a club and thought he was cute. She offered to give him a blowjob outside the Brass Jug Bar in Houston. A blowjob outside the Brass Jug Bar in Houston sounds like the first line of Texas's regional anthem. Have you ever given or had sexual relations in a public space? If so, when, why, who, where, what? Of course. I love it, What's honestly. What's your best one? Um, I would say a parking garage. Okay, that's classic. That was fun. It's usually like public bathrooms or cars. I'm trying to think if I ever fucked somewhere else besides cars or bathrooms. I don't think so. Oh, a park bench. Park bench is fun. Park bench. Uh, this was alley underneath like the blue line in the in Chicago, like underneath the train. Yeah, you got to go somewhere darker. It's probably you're younger or you <laughs> yeah, like don't younger. have a place to go now. Yeah. No, we have places to go. It's just kind of I'm into it. Yeah. I just like it. But I would never suck a strange person's dick. Maybe it's tw- like on birthright I did. I'll be honest. Um, but other than that, I just and it's happened to some of my guy friends. I just can't imagine going up to a dude and being like, let me suck your dick out back. I mean, you just, I just, yeah. You just have to be so, but then it's Because like I knew the people I, well, not once, but like I usually yeah. would know the people that I'm fucking outside with. Yeah, I don't know if and I, I would fuck, fuck a stranger. But not outside. You got to I really wouldn't just offer a blowjob. Yeah, because you have to be so infatuated that you're getting pleasure of just having their genitals in your mouth. I would go down on Miley Cyrus with nothing in return. Oh, you're a huge Miley head, huh? But that, but I can't, I'm trying to think of like, oh, Jason Momoa, yeah, I would go suck his dick. But like, I can't, I can't imagine meeting a Jason Momoa at the bar. (laughs) Way bigger than everybody holding a broad axe, shirtless. Have you fucked outside? So my best one ever was in this guy who, uh, 
long story short, but I got kind of kicked out of high school, went to a different high school, but then I was able to come back. And then when I came back, this one teacher who hated me didn't know I'd come back yet. So he said I was, he saw me, starts yelling, you're illegally on the campus. And he grabs the back of my shirt. And I'm honestly probably buffer in high school. Grabs the back of my shirt and he's grabbing me like this. I'm like, yo, I go here, I go here. Brings me in the office and then he kind of like throws me in there and goes, this guy needs to be kicked off. He's not supposed to be here. And then everyone's like, uh, and then everyone's like, uh, I don't know why I'm whispering. And then everyone's like, no, he goes here now. And so he felt bad. And the girl I was dating at the time was his assistant. And then the next day when he left home, I fucked her on his desk and I fucked her in his office. In high school. In high school, yeah. That's cool. I didn't do cool stuff like that in high school. I only sucked one dick in high school. I was kind of buck wild in high school. I, that's cool. So you were a bad teen. Yeah, but I, yeah. I just thought of one, but it wasn't in public. No one else was there. But I went back to someone's, uh, and, uh, I fucked in a perfume factory. <laughs> and that work. was one where like I was sharing a bed with someone, a comedian, because I we had we were in New York. Mm-hmm. And um, then he was still living with his ex. I don't know, whatever. So we fucked at his job at the perfume factory. Yeah, that you, you got to get real... Uh... Not spontaneous, but imaginative when you're either fucking someone's significant other or, like, if you're a kid, you don't have a place to go. Like, I remember in my middle school and high school, just a lot of fingering in the park. Yeah. There's a lot of fingering in the park. All right. um, Alan went to the bar that night. At one point, he went outside to get his glasses from his car and was met by a red Cadillac with a woman driving. A man jumped out, gun in hand, and told him to get in the car. This man was Charles Harrelson. And this was the last time Alan Berg was seen alive. So Alan was getting his dick sucked. We're going to find out, but pretty much it was just a game ran on Alan. Some chick called, because, you know, this is the, this is the what, wild, fucking 60s? Wild West. 68 or something. You know, if a girl calls you on your phone and goes like, hey, I want to suck your dick at this place, you can't look up her Facebook. You can't do anything like that. You just kind of show up and, like, look who gives you, like, eyes, I guess, or, like, has a shirt with your face on it. His body was found in an overgrown area. Who had the Cadillac? Charles. Charles, yeah. okay. Near Surfside, Texas, during a horrible thunderstorm. It had been six months since he disappeared, and only his skeleton Ooh. remained. The man who hired Charles Harrelson was named Frank DeMaria, who is still alive and living in Texas. DeMaria was a short Italian man who got a job working as a manager at Allenberg's store. Eventually, Allen discovered that he was stealing money from the company, and DeMaria was fired. He started his own carpet business after that, and this is when Alan Berg started noticing warning signs. He was run off the road by a Cadillac and also drown- attempted to drown in a bayou. Someone just came up and tried to drown him and swam off. At one point, someone ran up to him with a gun in a bag and threatened to blow off his head if he didn't pay him $125 cash immediately. Oh, my God. That's not even that much. I'm, Whatever. I'm... You have your own carpet business now. Who cares? So, Wow. DeMaria wanted to kill Berg, his old boss. We've all been there. Who's one ex-boss manager that you've liked to kill? And if so, how would you want to kill him? Kill? Oh, yeah. I used to waitress at Chicago Joe's. And it was a dad-son duo. And they were the dumbest, meanest, annoying, cokehead, disgusting human beings I've ever encountered in my life. Best job I've ever had. I would never be able to work at a real restaurant. I mean, we would eat like salads in front of customers, (laughs) not care. We would get drunk during brunch, eat off the buffet. We were just, uh, we were just like soups all the time. The kitchen, I loved our staff, (laughs) but... They were just terrible, and they would always get sex workers upstairs, and then the uh, the bellboy, the bellboys. I don't know what kind of place is this. The sex workers, boys. salads, so bellboys. They had um, 
this place had grilled calamari rib, ribs and then like everyone had a coupon um it was it was kitschy like lots of shit on the wall yeah, everywhere yeah. it's seen in wayne's world that was like their claim to fame it was cool but they lived upstairs and so the bus boys would have to bring coronas and buckets upstairs for all like you know the sex workers and the guys but i ran a comedy show there and they were such pieces of shit and didn't know anything and just they recently sold it and i got so many messages about it. Everyone was messaging me because um, we were a cool crew that worked there. And then um, I got to talk shit about them on local news and it felt awesome. <laughs> but I don't think I can kill a human. Like, I don't think I, I don't know. I would love to tw- like pull pranks that would end in like a limb loss. It's like Saw. You're more like the Saw puppet guy than an actual killer. Yeah, I would be fine to disfigure these people. <laughs> I don't know if I want to take their lives. Honestly, I think I could take someone's life. I've said this multiple times this podcast. I'm good at blocking things out. Well, because I'm like, oh, the world's ending. I should get a gun. And then this former Marine, now famous body piercer, <laughs> he was telling me that um, he's like, unless you're prepared to take someone's life, don't get a gun. Because you're more likely like they'll take it away and shoot your ass. Yeah. That, I mean, especially even in California, if you like shoot someone that's in your house, you can get in trouble. I just don't think I want, I don't want that. That's gonna, I think about, I, that would be in your head forever, the murder. Unless you're someone that's a socio and then you don't think about it or care. Or you get pleasure, well, so they don't. But, or you get pleasure, but like, I don't know. If you're just a chill, I mean, does Alec Baldwin, I he's now denying it, but. Well, it's he's close probably to sociopath, egotistical maniac. Uh, I just think if there was a problem, I could kill someone. And I would never think about it as a problem. Like, I couldn't walk up and shoot someone in the back of the head and walk around. But, like, if someone was, like, coming into my house, threatening my family, I could easily shoot them. Sure, but that is different. That's survival. You do what you need to survive. This is fun and games. Oh, no, no, no. As a, I'm not a fucking hitman. I could never do that shit. This person is a psychopath. And we learn... No, if I have to beat the sh- or like grab someone and choke them out, I mean, I would try my best. Yeah. I would beat the shit out of someone with a bat for sure. If I saw someone raping someone in the street, I would fucking get at it. Mm, I agree. I would stab someone, but like these restaurant owners, it's like, okay, you're annoying. Coke- yeah, yeah, you're a cokehead. I'm gonna. Yeah. But when I started the stand-up show, he was like, "Yeah, how about you? We put up a chair, and you guys can all stand on the chair, and we'll have a buffet in the back." Also, it's like running a show where we. It was like the it place to be. You know the cool show in town where like everyone. Oh, that hangs was the cool out. show. You used to run uh, the cool show. I did. I was like oh, 22, nice. and I'd never felt like it was so cool. And it was me and two other girls, and we ran the show where everyone would come hang out. Yeah. It was the shit. It's a but, special feeling. And everyone got free food and two drinks. That's a good show too. A and local the food show. was good, but then they didn't want to do that anymore. And then I said, "Fine, then give us the cut of the bar." You're saying you're not making money. You can't afford food and drinks for the comics. Give us a cut of the bar. And they refused that too. And I'm like, well, if we're not making you money, the cut of the bar wouldn't. What the fuck do you want? Yeah. You want us to do it for free? And it's obviously packed if it's the best show in LA. It was packed. Chicago. And even if it wasn't, let's say one night, people would come hang out anyways and drink all night and nice to the waitresses and the server and the bartenders. Mm-hmm. And like, it was just, they just sucked. And then he would date young girls and they would become in charge and they would start like commanding. And they're like, we let you use that room for free. It was just a mess. And then. The show ended and it's fine. What was the name? Riot. That's pretty Riot good. Riot Comedy. Very ulti kind of name. And I made both the other co-producers cry once each time. 
each of them. Yeah, you know, if, I mean, I, I want to get back to the story at some point here, but yeah, you know, I've heard a lot of things about you're a prickly person, yeah. and I just have never seen that whatsoever. I know. I, I, well, I just got some blood tests for my thyroid, and that does. I mean, it depends who you are. Like, are these people dicks? Like, I wonder who is saying that I'm an asshole. It's like, yeah, if you're a misogynist and I don't think you like women, I'm not going to be nice yeah. to you and I don't have to cater to you. If you're famous and you think people should just be nice to you because you're famous, like, I don't really care. Um, if you treat people like, I, I don't know, if you did my friend wrong, I'm going to fucking not be nice yeah. to you. I don't know what to say. I like it. But I am, um, when I'm high, I'm worse. It depends. But I, like, today my thyroid doctor was like, are you moody? And I was like, I don't think that has to do with the thyroid. <laughs> <laughs> like, I th- I'm irritable. Please. But yeah, I fight. I am not scared to let someone know that I'm not into them. But I feel like as a human, I'm very giving and caring. Yeah, I found. I mean, it hasn't been a ton of people, but I've just had a couple people like, hey, she's, I've heard she's prickly. I was like, one of the nicest people I've ever met. <laughs> wow. All right, September 1970. The court case against Charles Harrelson begins. Charles Har- Harrelson was tracked to Atlanta following the murder of Alan Berg, where he was living under the name Terry Wait, Southern. I don't want to interrupt you, but I have made some mistakes. And I've always apologized to those people. Well, I hope you know I'm not attacking you at all. No, I just want everyone to know. No, I um, like I wasn't nice to this one comic, and for some dumb reason, and years later, I was just like, that was fucked up. And no one has to forgive me or not, but I always, if I'm if I'm not cool to the um, a person who doesn't deserve it, I am I'm like open and willing to apologize for sure. Yeah, I was definitely more of a shit talker before I moved to L.A. Yeah, people like don't I, do. I know today I had people. like a meeting meeting and I st- I did talk shit about people and I could tell they were shocked. And I was like, yeah, get out of this dumb town. Yeah, L.A. does not <laughs> play that shit at all. All right. September 1970. The court case against Charles Harrelson begins. Charles. Oh, Har- so did they have enough evidence against him and stuff because of the Cadillac? They just knew. Yes. So they're, they they kind of got him and they're kind of going to. I mean, they're kind of going to. I mean, I hope Mario got some charges. We're but, gonna find out of both both. But both. Harrelson doesn't seem like a snitch, but he's also not doesn't have morals. We'll see. This is thrilling. Okay. Charles and Woody's just a kid who's not being taken care of at this point. <laughs> Woody seems to be neglected the whole time. I'm guessing that Charles wasn't really around with Woody's mom because he goes in now with other women. And then you're gonna at the end of this, if we make it, um We're gonna make it, because I need to know. Yeah. Hopefully. All right. Charles Harrelson was tracked to Atlanta following the murder of Allen Berg, where he was living under the name Terry Southern. He was taken back to Texas, where he would await the trial. During the case, an eyewitness named Sandra Sue Attaway came forward to testify, and what follows is her eyewitness testimony. Terry Southern is a hilarious fake name. You're going on the run. What's your fake name? Are you going for funny or incognito? Incognito, 100%. Are you kidding? Yeah. If I have to evade... I watched this Bravo reality show called Spy Games, and it was people competing to be a spy. Okay, <laughs> and no one on Bravo I've ever thought should be a spy, so I love it already. No, and one of the contestants was this woman. I used to watch her YouTube videos. She was in jail for three years, and she does jail videos. I've seen a few TikToks like that. They're fantastic. And so she was on the show, and she did pretty good. But um, you got to stay undercover. You can't. You don't want anyone noticing you. What's you your name going to be? Wild then? hair. Um, I would say my I would do Emma since that's like my dream name. I think I would do just like Emma Smith, honestly. I like it, but it's a little on the nose. Um, maybe like I would go like Polish. Oh, Emma yeah. Wojciechowski, and everyone's just like, yeah, I don't even know what this is. Keep going. 
Yeah, pull, but then they would remember. You don't want anyone to remember you. Yeah. You don't want any. You don't want a long ass foreign name because then people ask questions and you have to get to know them. And then if the cops come asking questions, they'll be like, "Oh, I did talk to someone." But then they'd like be that. like, "What's her name? Emma." So hard to pronounce. That would be good. You go extremely Slavic. But I wouldn't even know it. I, I you need something simple. So if you're yeah. drunk, you can fucking Emma, say yeah. it. You I, want to slur I would, your own name. I would. I would change Smith. I think you're right. That's too on the nose. But like, I would do Johansson, Johnson. Yeah, Johnson, Emma Johnson. Yeah, that's pretty good. Simple. We, I feel like we all knew Emma Johnson in high school. The truth. I wish I. You know, I want to know about this crime, but I also want to know about your bad teen years. Fucking oh. on your teacher's desk. That's Bro, so. Bro, I was cool. insane. And the, how old Selling was the drugs, assistant? Running drugs over the border. She was a senior. I was a fucking sophomore. Okay. She taught me how to drive. First love, Jewish girl. She's doing well. She's in Chicago now. She moved to Chicago. So you're friends with her? Um, in no. Her, okay. She's an adult, and when she got with her new boy, uh, she stopped, like, communicating. But got it. She might still fall. He might be controlling. He looks like an ugly version of me, so that's okay. good. <laughs> All right. The truth according to Sandra Sue Attaway. She was dating Charles at the time of the murder and allegedly helped him with the job. As the story goes, Frank DeMaria had been cheated out of $7,000 by Aaron Berg, and Frank hired Charles to convince Alan to pay that debt. And if he did it, Charles could keep $2,000 for himself if he was successful. Sandra Sue was the woman that called Alan and attempted to make him go to the club, and she was the driver for the entire night. Charles forced Alan into the car, explained that this was a kidnapping, and they drove deep into the woods. Charles was giving Sandra Sue directions, looking for a certain spot, he said. Eventually, they stopped the car, and both men got out and went to the back. That's when Sandra Sue heard a gunshot and looked back to see Alan Berg fall to the ground. Apparently, the shot didn't kill Alan instantly because Charles pulled a rope out of the trunk and tied it to his neck. He dragged Alan around until he was dead and threw his body into a bush. Sandra Sue alleges at this point in time, Charles was a debt collector working for the man named Jack Strauss. She thinks the murder of Alan Berg was a debt collection that went sour. Wow. Killed him, then pulled his body into the woods with a rope. Was there ever a person or situation that pulled you into a place that you didn't want to be? If so, what and why and how? Yeah, I think about the times when I was young and I was on the back of guys' motorcycles with no helmet. <laughs> okay. And I'm really like, I'm glad I made it out. Like, that's humiliating. For your parents, if you died, to be like, my dumb bitch daughter was helmetless on Lakeshore Drive. Like, so I think those are, but I wasn't, so that was, I mean, that was something I didn't enjoy. One of the most terrifying sights for a parent would be watching your daughter get on to a motorcycle <laughs> yeah. helmetless and then shoot the fuck out. You'd be like, I guess I fucked up. I don't know what's going on. I should have told her not to stay with these guys. And then one time we were in high school, but we started talking to these older men and we went back to their apartment and he had like a lizard and Oof. we ended up safe, but we shouldn't have been at these old men's houses with their lizards. No, that was just, when we were younger, it was, just wasn't that weird for someone like, eight years older to be hitting on young women. I always thought it was. Like, I always shit, I never did You were ahead it. of the times. Yeah. I just always did, yeah. Well, because there's also a difference, I like to say, where the, where it's like, oh, fuck, I'm 19, I fell in love with a 16-year-old, what am I going to do? Weird. So weird. Verse, 
I only date 15 year olds and I'm only looking for 15 year olds. You know, there's just like kind of a difference because sometimes I feel bad about people on the sexual registry list where I was like, you just went to prom and now you're on. You can't fucking get a job or live near a school. That sucks. But then, you know, if you piss outside, you. Yes. I, that one's a little much. That's fucked up. Yeah. And it's sexual misconduct. If you're just like um, 19, 16, you're done. But then it's like, are they a predator? Because when I was in junior high, a girl was dating a 22-year-old. And we weird, were in eighth dude. grade. and She was in eighth grade dating jun- a 22-year-old? Junior high, yeah, Dana. And she was a cutter, and so her thighs were filled with, like, cuts. And I remember seeing photos of her in, like, a sweatshirt with no bottoms and, like, him, like, holding her. And... The vibe is, as a young person, you think, like, that's cool. And I don't know if I thought it was weird or not. I thought her cuts on her thighs were. That was what, like, jarred me more. What is, what is she on the run as Emma Johnson now? What's she doing? <laughs> I don't know. I hope she's doing good. I should actually find her. I, I brought home from Thanksgiving, I brought home my uh, senior yearbook. Oh, nice. I want to kind of explore what's happening. Dude, I was so bad in high school. They didn't want to put me in it. They kept me out of my senior year. This is wild, but you're not. But you were never mean, or you were just mean to authority, or you were mean because no, you were I was a never drug dealer. Bully and uh, that kind of thing. Maybe I might have made fun of people, but just for like, I definitely did. I never, I definitely never focused on a person and tried to drive them in the ground like a nail. But you know, it's kind of just like everyone makes fun of each other. But yeah. uh, I wouldn't have said I was a mean person. Maybe there were a couple people that might have said that. I don't remember them, and I don't remember saying that. But I'm more just saying maybe that was. But the teachers did not. No. No, they did not like me. Was there any cool teacher that I was like, Yeah, a couple I of them fucked you're... me a little bit. A couple of fucked me for sure. The, my favorite is when a student's so bad but so funny and the teacher like can't help but laugh. Yeah. Like few, that's yeah. really cool. I had like two or three of those ones. That's really awesome. I once um killed it in jury duty and that meant a lot to me. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we're not gonna choose you, but standing ovation. <laughs> yeah. Like twice or three times I made everyone laugh and the judge. And I was like, oh, this is like all of my interests combining yeah. into one magical that is, moment. That is fantastic. And then meet a friend for lunch. You know what I mean? Fantastic. It so it's 50 good. bucks. They just paid for it. All right. We're going to go to Jack Strauss. So she said that Charles was a debt collector, collector for a guy named Jack Strauss. Little sidebar about old Jackie boy. Jack Strauss was called Treetop because he was 6'6", was one of the more famous poker players in the country. He's one of just a few players to make it to the final table of the World Series of Poker three or more times, and he won the entire event in 1982, when at one point he was down to a... This is such a fantastic story. He was down to a single chip. This is perhaps where the famous saying, a chip in a chair originated, meaning like you may have nothing left but a chip And Jack is who... So Jack, so that's the problem we kind of going. It's which what we wanted. So Jack is a uh, Sandra Sue is saying that Charles was working for a guy who's a debt collector named Jack Strauss. Okay. She's more. She's kind of pushing away from the Demaria narrative and going about this Jack Strauss guy. Oh, because Demaria's in the mob. Might be in the mob. Also, she might just be kind of a dumb floozy. Has no idea what she's talking about. It seems like a lot of people are pressuring people back in this time that we'll even find out about their lawyers. So. uh he wins the World Series of Porker three times and he won the entire event in 1982 when at one point he was down to a single chip. This is perhaps where the famous saying, a chip in a chair, originated. And Strauss also executed what has been called the greatest bluff in history. Hell yeah. The story goes, Jack was on a hot streak in a high-stakes game of Texas Hold'em and decided he would raise the next hand pre-flop no matter what. 
He was dealt a 2-7 offsuit, but even with the worst hand possible, he still raised preflop. A single opponent called his raise, and at 7-3-3 were the thrown on the flop. Strauss raised, but his opponent raised even higher, and Strauss knew he was behind on the hand, but still called. A two was thrown down, 7-3-3-2 on the board, and even though that didn't help Strauss's hand, he threw down a large bet hoping to bluff his opponent off. This is at the World Series of Poker. This isn't a fucking random thing in Atlantic City. At that point, Strauss knew he had to win before the river was thrown, so he offered his opponent a proposition. For 25 bucks, he would choose either either of Strauss's cards, and Strauss would show him. His opponent paid the 25, picked a card, and Strauss showed him a two. Strauss won the hand after his opponent folded, and the bluff went down in poker history. But what did the other guy have? Because he has a two pair here. What did the other guy have? I'm guessing less. I don't really know what I don't. I'm not familiar enough for with uh, poker, but maybe he guessed that the two was the worst of those cards that he grabbed. Yeah. And then the other one, something good. I don't know. That's amazing. But I he's love also, poker. Yeah, it seems like you. I did. I you you uh, glowed up when I started giving the two sevens <laughs> off suit things. I didn't even know I was saying. I thought it could have been fucking French. The greatest bluff of all time is a hell of a thing to be known for. What's one of the best lies, either of importance or to save your ass, or just impressive you got away with it that you've ever said? This is more of a silly story. Fantastic. So I don't know why I did this, but my friend Mike uh, was going to Iowa for work. And I was like, oh, I went to school in Ames. And he was going there. And I go, oh, there's this restaurant called the Machine Shed where you can bring your farm animal in and they'll kill it for you and then you can eat it. And then he brought it up in the meeting and everyone was like, that's not a real place and that's not true. And then he called me. He's like, why would you do that? And I was like, I have no idea. (laughs) It would have been hilarious if he was there with like a small calf. (laughs) Yeah. You guys do your own thing. And I don't, he goes, why would you, he's like, you humiliated me in this meeting. I go, I didn't know you would take it with, but I don't know why I lied. I think I thought it was true. Like, I have no reason, rhyme, nothing for it. I didn't know you bring it to corporate, bro. <laughs> yeah. I just thought I'd say between us. Um, And then this isn't like a lie. I don't know. I don't lie very often. I'm trying to think of like a fun one. But I was supposed to do one more semester of college, but this was my friend, and she went into the student records and changed my information. So I Hell got, yeah. Uh, Love that. So I got to graduate um, early. Oh, my. So I, oh, I'm about all that. That's yes. everything I love in the world. Amazing. Fuck, then. If you can get by with anything, fantastic. Yeah. Do you lie a lot? No, I'm a huge thing about telling the truth. My whole thing, honestly, is if you're going to be my friend, I'm going to tell you the truth. So you either want to be my friend because I'm going to do that or don't ask me questions. And that's kind of how I run with... uh... A lot of people go, oh, one time I had been arrested already a bunch of times and I was with a few friends smoking weed in Grant Park. Like... And the cops came over and started like searching everyone one at a time. And I was last and I, of course, had all the weed. But I looked like such a dork. And I just went, my class is starting. Like, I really need to go. And they didn't search me. And they let me go to class, to college. But um, And I did have all the weed. And I just had another arrest. Like, it would have fucked me up. So that I guess that's like an important lie that I'm glad worked out. That's pretty good. I had one like that that was more, I don't know if it was a lie as much as white privilege. When I first got to L.A. and got this job, I, I don't know if you know how important the door guy job is for someone who moves here and doesn't know anybody, but it was a huge thing for me to do here. I, it seems huge. It seems huge. Yeah. Okay. So I got the job, didn't know anybody, 
fantastic. I go up on top of the hill. I'm smoking, drinking with my friends, and I start driving home. And right in front of that Rite Aid on Sunset, I'm looking down at my phone. It's yellow or no. I don't know, whatever. I go into the back of somebody, smash in the back of their car. I'm Whoever this person was that was driving was pretty fucked up. I look up. Everyone's gone. I think in my head that they stopped short and it's their fault. So I pull over. I run down the street. Whoever it was runs down the street kind of blacked out. Doesn't see anything. I get in my car and they pull in that Red Aid parking lot. And it's chuck full of police officers. Chuck full. And they saw. And they Well, they just, I guess the other two people pulled in there. So then when I pull in there and I get out of my car, I'm like bewildered. But I'm wearing like work clothes. And they and they go, are you the guy who hit him? I go, yeah. They go, are you drunk right now? I go, no. And they go, okay. <laughs> Just got out of it. Well, because the other guy ran away, so of course yeah. he looks worse. He looks, yeah, he looked worse. And I just, I mean, I. Why are the cops hanging out at Rite Aid? I think they just got called there really quick. Whoa. So then that, uh, yeah, that whole story led to, then I lost my car, I had nowhere to go. And you know if you live in L.A., not a place and not have a car. You're kind of fucked. Yeah, I mean, I was able to get away with it in West Hall. When, like, yes. when money's awesome mm-hmm. and you're Ubering everywhere, life doesn't matter. It's the best. But as soon like as a uh, pandemic and you're not mm-hmm. making money, you it's weird you need a car to not spend as much, but you're still spending a lot. It's fucking twisted. No, it's like someone wants to go to lunch. You're like, okay, lunch will be 20 bucks. The Uber will be 35 there, 35 back. And it's like, this is kind of just fucking... Or you're like, I have an audition on the West Side, and it's like, okay, the Uber's... $50, so it's like, mm. but yeah, so I got away with that one. All right, let's go back to Charles Harrelson. Charles was eventually found not guilty of murder due entirely to the defense attorney that, oh. I love a great defense attorney because Casey Anthony, like, killed her baby. There's no rhyme, like, she did it. Yeah. And that defense attorney, he made his, that his career. Like, he was incredible, evil, incredible. And that kind of got me into... Feel like wow, yeah. If you're a sick ass defense attorney, that's why you get paid so much because you can just straight get off people out. This guy here is going to be one of the reasons that people think, other than Charles Harrelson saying he killed JFK multiple times, <laughs> they think this is the guy that proves it because there's no fucking way Charles could have afforded this defense attorney, the best in the nation. Okay. His attorney was Percy Foreman, arguably the best def- uh, defense attorney in the country. Among the people he represented are James Earl Ray, the MLK killer, and well, Jack- that was the FBI. So, like, I don't yes. know exactly, right? He's the guy representing the people that are against the FBI. That the FBI kind of had people killed. That's what people are saying on why this guy. How does he have this guy when you don't have any money? And then this guy's also been. And Jack Ruby, the Lee uh, Oswald killer, and throughout his entire career, he lost 53 of 1,500 plus death penalty cases. So out of 1,500 people that were said they were going to die, he didn't make these people free, but he got them out of the death penalty. Okay, good, because I was about to say, like... Yeah, it's a psychopath, evil person. That's too many killers out in the wild. Okay, so just not death penalty. 
in the fastest of fast ones, Percy was able to get Sandra Sue's entire testimony thrown out because he proved that she was his common law wife, right? Makes sense. But apparently there are laws saying no wife can, or that is the the rule, uh, no no wife can uh, testify against her husband. But uh, Charles and Sandra Sue had never even discussed marriage. This guy just put that out there and used his his little greasy. Well, fingers. that's the that's the whole point. So, like, um, the defense do, all they don't have to prove their client no. didn't do it. All they have to do is show reasonable yeah. doubt. That's yep. it. So you can throw something wild out there and never mention it again, but it's already in someone's mind on that jury. Also, they didn't have internet, so it's like, do you want to prove that they're not married? Have some PA go down there to the fucking courthouse and look up all these documents in a weird dot in a weird uh, file cabinet to find out. So people would just go like, yeah, sure, you're telling right. Percy also called up two surprise witnesses at the end of the trial. Surprise witnesses, that's not a thing. JV and Leon Price. One is a justice of the peace. The other is a county judge. And they claim that Charles Harrelson sold them a horse in Trinity, Texas when the murder occurred. They even had a notarized bill of sale that was dated in time. Both the prosecution and the defense were unaware of this evidence until it was presented. And it seemed like Harrelson himself wasn't even told about it until court that day. A yeah, lawyer, he oh, might on, have been on, a bad liar. Hold on, hold on. A, a lawyer who was in the room said that Charles looked shocked when the bill of sale was introduced and then shrugged. I forgot all about that. Wow. Yeah, you. Can, this is like from the... Did you watch the movie Chicago? The musical? No. There's like a moment in court where they like... the Richard Gere, the lawyer, does something and she's like, why didn't you tell me? And it's like, we need your... You're not a good actress, honey. <laughs> like, you're not a good actor for that. Yeah, this guy's a... You can't trust this hillbilly. Cocaine hitting hitman. And someone's paying Percy arguably the greatest... Lawyer in the country. Who is paying? Oh, my God. Okay. Wow. I forgot all about that. Is an obvious man caught in a lie? What's the worst lie you ever got caught in? I don't know. I remember in elementary school, we would have, like, study of people, which was we would all sit in a circle and just talk to each other. And that all culminated into fifth grade. And she she taught us sex ed. So it's like she's gained our trust through the years. And then she taught us about fucking. And in it, for some reason, I was like... I held my breath underwater for two minutes or something like that. And then she called me out and I felt so ashamed. Like people were like, you couldn't have done that. And I was like, yes, I did. And so, you know, it was embarrassing as a kid. But also, you could have done that. Um, But two I was, I think I turned red. I'm trying to think of other huge lies. Were you kind of a, I, f- I feel you were a smart dork kind of growing up. Not no. dork, but just like a smart girl in class. No, I love talking. Obviously. So I would raise my, I would talk all the time. Even if I didn't have the answer, I would bring up another subject. Like I would definitely talk all the time. I was creative maybe in art. No, I didn't get good grades. I wasn't a studious girl. No. In college, I think I got good grades. Uh, But in high school, like I, I didn't, I didn't, I liked theater, PE. I don't know. Yeah. I was big into PE, obviously. I, I just didn't. I'm door, but I so when I immigrated, it was like I was a weirdo and I felt left out and no one really liked me. Um, I was young. I was only I was three, and so by first grade and stuff, it's just weird when your parents don't know how to guide you in the world you live in. 
Anderson. I mean, I don't know, a, but an I can see Albert, yeah. And so then you're just at school, and I remember I was like smiling, and the first grade teacher was like, you need to stop smiling and start saying the alphabet. And I was like, humiliative. But I just like, <laughs> I didn't want, I don't know. Um, I wasn't that smart, but I, dork-wise, yeah, like I didn't, I wasn't a cool girl. It's just so funny how like teaching has changed from back in the day till now. Like back in the day it was like ridicule, making someone feel stupid and not, and ostracized yeah. and then now it's like inclusion and all this kind of intense new worldly stuff and well yeah like, it's like if you're a kid who can't really write you're dyslexic why wouldn't you let that kid do a report an oral report it makes no sense to like or if someone's has you know i just don't i don't get the torture well i feel like the biggest thing now is like teachers teachers recognize when a kid is being bad in school or doing these kind of things he obviously something is fucking up in his life yes because a lot of time, I wouldn't say I ran an after-school program for three and a half years. The kids that are doing wild shit, it's it's a way of them saying, "It's not good where I'm at, dog." So it's yeah. like you either gotta work on them more or just kind of. Yeah, like that's that's so true. Like when you just when you put all this on these kids, and you don't know if they have to take care of their siblings, if they didn't eat that day, if they watched their dad get shot in the face. Like you don't yeah. know shit, and you don't care. Or their dad beats their mom every night, and all this kind of stuff. And you're just like, get good grades. Yep. It's really fucked. There needs to be more humanity in our world. All but right, let's keep going because <laughs> we are going. still on one of fifteen. <laughs> I mean, we keep going. It's really going to be on you. And when you give no. up, I can do the rest. The murder of Sam DeHelia. The murder of Sam DeHelia, as much as an isolated hit as it is the first venture into the more conspiratorial elements of Charles Harrelson's life. June 3rd, 1968. Charles Harrelson is pulled over on a tip that he had heroin in the car. He did, in fact, have $5,000 <laughs> worth of heroin in a condom, but he managed to kick it into a sewer as they searched their car. By the way, $5,000 of heroin back then is probably about 15 k now. The cops still found a sawed-off 12-gauge shotgun in shells in his car, and he was taken to jail. His bail was paid the same night by a man named Peter Scamardo. What the fuck? $5,000 kicked in a sooner. Sewer. That's got to hurt for a while. What's something you've lost and still hurts today? Could be a person, place, or thing. Oh, person. <laughs> person, place, or thing. That's fucked up. Um, I'm just going to keep it light. I, <laughs> I lost like a diamond floral daisy bracelet last year, and I really liked it. And it. I wish I had it. I think mm. losing jewelry, money. That sucks. Yeah. I don't like that. My worst one was I spent all, it was all summer. My dad said he'd match me, but I still owed him to buy an iPod. And the kind of clicky one, the circle clicky one. Mm, yeah. And had the game on it. I spent, it was 300 bucks on eBay. I think it was 300 bucks on eBay. It was the bigger one, 160 gigabytes. So it's like, you know, I can party. My dad loves music, so he was into it and everything. And I, I bought it. Go to school. I'm fucking coolest, baddest motherfucker in the world. You know, I got a thing. I'm listening to the white earphones. They got that weird dancing commercial with the blackout images. And then after school, we go to play a, a game of football, but unregulated, just in the field. Put it in my shoe, under two socks, come back, gone. Lasted me a day. Did you cry? I might have. I don't remember. I mean, I remember to this day, so I'm going to guess it, it hurt. Did you get another one ever or did or No. I don't think so. I think later on my buddy ran a thing where he was stealing them. I thought you were a rich kid. 
No. I don't know why. No, I'm not a rich kid. I thought you were a rich kid. No, my dad uh, is one of the guys who, you ever see the big trucks and they wear an orange shirt and they work on the like water mains and stuff? He worked for water. He's one of those guys. And my mom is like, uh, uh, she works for the government in LA. I mean, Cal- in Sacramento. Wow. I would not say rich. I would say upper lower class. I, don't I hate know. rich people. I don't know why. I, I hate legacy rich people. No, never, never. Now That's I'm what's blowing my these... line when I hang out with all these people now, and I'm like, oh no, I actually was poor because I was always I was an only child, so I, ever, I didn't get everything I wanted. But like, I wasn't like, oh, could I have some more soup, so It was <laughs> yeah. just like you know they had to feed one other kid; they're gonna be fine. But like, uh, when I hang out with people that actually had money, it's like, oh no, I was. I was pretty poor. You know what the worst is um, when you're talking to someone that you know is so, so, so rich and they're trying to relate to you by being like, oh, my God, and that steak costs this much. And it's like, I know you're rich, bitch. Like, I know what brand your shoes are. But that was weird. I was that happened to me recently where I was like, you don't have to relate to me. You could just be rich and talk about your vacation. It's totally okay. My whole thing about rich people is it, it feels like the same guy who beat a video game on easy. To respect you beat a video game, sure. You put in the dime to do it. But you had your parents paying your rent the whole time. And guess what? Life is easier doing. Having yes. someone paying your fucking rent. And that's why there's a few people that I respect so much because they're open about it. Like my friend, yeah, Megan Gailey would always like take out her a credit card and be like, this is on my dad. And then we would all do shots and it was fun. Megan Gailey's but a at fantastic least human being. She was like open and then you when rich people try to hide it or pretend you're the same or be like oh i'm so broke and then they're not it's like what game are we playing here pete scamardo and charles harrelson were doing business with each other and at one point pete was facing financial problems he figured he could make some money if he sold some heroin around the time of the berg murder charles came home one day with the previously mentioned heroin saying pete had brought it back from mexico when charles got arrested and lost the heroin pete still needed money so he said why don't you kill my business partner, Sam DeHelia? Since they were partners, both had a $150,000 life insurance policy should the other die. The evidence that linked Charles to the murder of Sam DeHelia are as follows. Number one, Charles was driving Pete's car when he was arrested in Atlanta. <laughs> so this stuff is just so funny. Police found checks from Pete Scarborough to Charles Stottenborough, an alias of Charles Harrelson. Harrelson. Uh, the car used to abduct Sam DeHealy was rented under the name Jerry O'Brien Watkins. Jerry was questioned by the police and given a detailed story of the murder from story from start to finish. So it gets confusing, but this next part is so important. Okay. So we just learned about this guy, Jerry O'Brien Watkins. Okay. The murder according to Jerry Watkins. Jerry and Charles met at Lucky Pierre's, a private club in Houston, where Charles was introduced as Charles Stottenborough. The two saw each other every day for uh, nearly about a week, uh, and they played gin rubby together. And then I, all I wrote was, wait till you hear about fucking Jerry. Oh, is it, is it two down here? Okay. July 6, 1968. Charles Harrelson convinced Jerry to accompany him on a trip to McAllen, Texas, where Charles had planned a strum to strum a guy's head. They picked up Sam Delia around 6 p.m. for a supposed grain deal. I don't really know what grain deal is. I think it's a Texas thing. Jerry was driving, Charles was riding shotgun discussing grain prices and transportation costs with Sam. Not long after the drive began, Charles pulled out a pistol and told Sam to get to the floorboards and that he shouldn't do anything foolish. 
Charles tied his hands with some nylon rope and they drove until they got to an abandoned shack. Jerry stayed in the car and lit a cigarette and Charles and Sam went inside. Charles holding onto the nylon rope like a leash. As soon as they were both inside, Jerry said he heard a pistol shot and then another. Charles rushed back to the shack from the shack holding the gun and the rope and when he got to the car, he pointed the gun at Jerry. On the drive back, Charles threatened Jerry should he ever open his mouth. He said he would kill him and his wife, but that it would be a shame because he liked them both. I would kill you and your life, wife, but it would be a shame because I liked you both is a hell of a double-sided compliment. What's the best double-sided compliment someone has given you or that you have ever said to someone else? Um, I think this is like uh, maybe even a hack thing, but when people uh, make make it seem like you're like very brave for just living your life or like courageous for something and you're just like um okay like that's that's not <laughs> nice i think that's like oh wow you can wear anything like that like you can wear anything or like wow you really just don't care so, something like that where it's just like i don't think you no actually i think you know exactly what you're saying i love saying to a comic you had fun up there oh yeah that's one of my favorite that wasn't that good, but that's all I had. It's Backhanded. Fine. Listen, we got to keep going. We have so much. Yeah, but I think someone making it seem like you were like so courageous for just being you or like that the reason like, wow, it's so good. You're confident. Like that's kind of rude. Yeah, because they're saying you should. If I was in your position, I wouldn't be that confident. Yeah. Wow. You're so confident. <laughs> <There's no> lie, I would <laughs> be throwing up every night into a that's toilet. That's the lie. It took me a second to get there, but that's the exact wording of like confident. Because you would never call like Giselle Bunchen confident. Exactly. Ever. 100%. A few days later, Charles and Sandra Sue went to Jerry's house and Charles wanted to talk about what happened. Apparently, Charles was set to get 5000 for the killing of Sam and he ordered to give Jerry some as well. Jerry refused and Charles said he was getting the money from Pete Scamardo just as soon as Pete collected the insurance. Charles also said, isn't it hell when your buddy kills you to collect the insurance? Okay, when we get to about here, this is when it gets insane. Okay. This is already what? I'm just shocked that so many connections, so many hillbillies with Italians, so many hitmen, and so many people bad at murder, leaving ev a trails of evidence. But you got to think, back then there was no DNA, there's right. no nothing, there's no internet, there was no, you kill a guy, you're probably not going to get caught. Unless someone yeah. could do some fucking My Cousin Vinny tire tracking back to yourself, you're probably out. The case against Charles and Pete. Once again, Percy Foreman was the defense attorney representing Charles and Pete. Why does Charles have the best defense attorney in America? During the trial, Percy called up a nightclub singer who said that Charles was with her the night of the murder. So this Percy guy just has huge people at his fingertips that he uses to make sure that they can call a, a alibi. I love the name Percy. That is kind of a fun one. It's been lost for sure. And that was enough to convince one juror that was innocent. The verdict ended 11-1 deadlocked. It would be three years until Harrelson had a retrial. During the retrial, the prosecution kept the nightclub singer out of the case, and Charles Harrelson was found guilty. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison, but would only go on to serve four. Pete Scarmara was tried for accessory to murder. He was the guy who wanted his boss killed, or a partner killed, and he was found guilty uh, the first time around. During this case, Percy made it... To a point to say that Pete was a good, honest, godly man and that he was remorseful for what he had done and he would do better things moving forward. 
Pete, who the man who tried to kill his partner for $150,000 insurance, was given no jail time for the guilty verdict and only seven years probation. Jesus, he got someone to kill his business partner and only got seven years probation. What's something that you got away with that maybe you shouldn't have? I don't know my life. Yeah. Isn't <laughs> being kidding. a comedian feel yeah. like something we shouldn't be doing? Like the fucking trick. I feel like I hit the jackpot every mm. fucking day of my life. I would Amen. say this life without getting good grades or focusing on anything that people are supposed to focus on in life. I mean, I live in a studio part. You know, the, like, things oh, are weird. <laughs> but like, it is just like the jackpot of life. Yes, I would say my lifestyle is something I feel uh, I was able to get away with. I think we're, how much time we did right there? Okay, I'm gonna piss. How long are your podcasts? Are they always three, four episodes? Yeah, but normally oh, cool. people bail at the end because they're just like, I can't do it anymore. Got it. So I'm gonna pee. Do you want another drink? Um, sure. Right. We're gonna be here a while. All right, everybody, that was part one of maybe part three, all about Charles Harrelson, a.k.a. Woody Harrelson's dad. Um, Pretty good so far, right? I really love this episode. It's uh, got a lot of information on it. When you keep thinking about what this guy did, how he got away with things, you start to think, how did he afford these things? How did he afford these lawyers? How did he get a... It just gets good, folks. So the end of this one, the next couple episodes, you're going to find out how he's tied into the JFK assassination, how he might be have ties to Cuba, and how he kept getting out of going to jail. Um, thanks, you guys, for listening. Check out this part one. So part two will be out next week with Lisa Traeger, all about, all about Charles Harrelson. Baby!